So, how's everyone's week been? Good? Yeah, good time. Uh, great to see many faces that I haven't seen before. My name is David. Um, and tonight, we are going to talk about a topic that I really don't want to talk about. Um, and we'll get into it in a second. But um, before we do that, let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the time that we can spend together. We thank you for the fact that you want to talk to us, Lord, uh, despite the topic. Um, you, want, you want to tell us something. And so we say our hearts are open and soft to you, and we, we are listening. Um, and Lord, help us be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So what is this topic? This topic is tithing. Now, I don't know about you, when you visit a church uh, for one of the very first times and the preacher or whatever gets up and says, we're going to talk about money today, and you just kind of like, or you've invited your friend or whatever, you just feel your heart sink and you're like, jeez, why are we talking about money? And oh, this church is just money hungry and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I have been in that same position where I've uh, heard pastors bring that up and, and immediately my, like, my heart closes, my mind shuts off, and I think, okay, well, this is, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look for the ulterior motive in, in what's being said. Um, but a uh, couple of disclaimers. First of all, uh, none of us here get any money and um, there is no like formal thing. In fact, I'm going to actively encourage you to give wherever your heart uh, feels to give. So if that's not this place, that's fine, um, in your own individual churches or charities or whatever. Um, and uh, hopefully, um, what we can see by the end of today is that this topic is more than just a, a, a topic about um, money. Um, and in fact, this topic is very, very important. Um, this topic uh, is actually one of the things that Jesus talks about most in his ministry, in the three years of his active ministry. Um, and there's a very good reason. The reason is that the way that God views this topic, the way God views money, is that it is a reflection of how we feel about him and how we uh, view uh, our relationship with God. Um, and we're going to unpack that tonight. Uh, but um, what I would like to also say as a disclaimer is, as we talk tonight, and as, we, as you hear kind of the things and the verses and passages that we're going to read, um, uh, try to put yourself in the position of, like, before God, like, inspect me, look at my heart, um, look at my mind, uh, what do I do? Like, be really, like, allow God and allow yourself to be very critical of, of your own practices and what's going on in your heart. And um, uh, essentially, allow Him to speak to you and what He might want to be kind of saying and convicting you to do. Um, and, and hopefully that will become clear as we talk. So, um, why, yeah, let's, let's have a look at the first passage of the Bible. Can you, can anyone, a bit of trivia... Uh, what's the first time uh, an, a, a, like an offering is mentioned in the Bible? One of the first times. Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. Let's have a look together. We're going to look Genesis. So pull up your Bibles. If it's digital, if it's physical, kudos to you if you've got a physical Bible. Um, all right, we're going we're gonna to have a look. So this is, this is just after Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And so uh, Adam and Eve have two boys. One is Cain, 
the firstborn, and one is Abel, the, the secondborn. And this is the story in uh, the second part of, the, of verse 2 of chapter 4. So it says this, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. We're going to stop there. Cain and Abel. Hopefully we're all familiar with this story, yeah? So, two brothers... And the friction between them, the thing that, spoiler alert, Cain kills his brother Abel, the thing that leads to that murder is this thing, which is they're both offering to God, and God is happy with Abel's offering, and he's unhappy with Cain's offering. What is going on here? Some of us read this passage, and, and you might have heard it in Sunday school or something, and uh, you know the, the take-home message becomes... God's, God's not a vegetarian. God is he's a carnivore. He loves meat. Don't give God anything other than the, the good meat. Um, and I don't think that's what's happening in this story. Um, the, the, look, at, look at the words. So, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So he's a farmer. That's what he does. And so he gives God the, 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 the crops that he's yielding. right? But in the course of time, Meanwhile, Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. In other words, Cain is kind of like, you know, letting the crops do their thing and he's picking and he's reaping and he's like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I could spare this to God. I could give a little bit of this to him. Meanwhile, Abel is in livestock, so you can't predict what's going to happen with the mating and this and that and how many, you know, lambs or whatever are going to survive or Immediately, the firstborn gets given to God. And not just the firstborn, but the, the, the biggest ones, the, the nice chunky ones, you know, the, the ones that have the most meat on them kind of thing. The reality here is that this is a window into their hearts. This uh, offering is a window into how Cain and Abel view God and how they view their, their things, right? And the way that Cain views it is that, you know what? I'll give God what I can spare. The way Abel views it is everything belongs to God and so I'm going to give him the best and the first. right? And the reality is that God could see this. God understood this because obviously God is God. He knows everything. He knows your heart. And so he was very pleased with Abel. With Cain, he wasn't. And it was known to Cain. Cain could feel the fact that God wasn't very happy with him. And we don't know how, we don't know why, but all we're told is that Cain's anger led to him feeling hatred. And his hatred then ate away at him, and God saw it, and he warned him. He said, sin is crouching at your door. Because you see, when your heart is not giving God your all, and giving God the best, and giving God the first, then what happens is your heart is automatically on a path towards sin, towards evil, towards the inclination to rebelling against God, right? So when we look 
at anything in life, and look, I'm well aware, some of us in this room are still not working, we're still studying full time, some of us are working, but you know, it's uh, pocket money or whatever you want to kind of call it, and then some of us uh, are actually in careers and, and we're building up a career or you know, we're embarking on a career or we're established in a career and we are making decent money. The reality is this, how do you view that resource? How do you view, and if you're not earning anything, how do you view your, uh, your time and your energy and the, the relationships that you have around you and the, uh, the resources that God has given you in your life that might not be monetary? How do you view it? And is your instinct to say, God, take the first and take the best? Or is your instinct to kind of hold back a little bit? See what else comes around the corner and whatever you can spare, you'll, you'll give up to God. Yeah, look, I could go to church on Sunday or Friday or whatever, but, uh, but you know what, I, uh, I would rather yeah, hang out with you know, this thing or this person or this time or whatever. Or, um, uh, you know, yeah, okay, I, I could, you know, this, this charity drive is doing a thing and I feel, but you know what, I'd be, I'm this close to saving up for that thing. And mm, even though I feel like God might be challenging me and wanting me to kind of give in this area, uh, no, just wait till I get this first and then whatever I've got left over, I'll give, give to. What, how do you view what you have? How do you view what you have? And the reality is that how you view it is leading you on either a path closer to God or on a path towards rebellion from God. And that rebellion in this story looks horrible. It's the first murder um, of humanity, um, but it doesn't have to be that horrible. But it all sin is rebellion against God. And so, where, what path are you on, and, and how do you view your resources? The next story. You ready? Let's have a look at uh, Genesis chapter fourteen. Uh, yeah, Genesis chapter fourteen. Okay, this is a weird one. So Genesis chapter fourteen, verses eighteen to twenty. So context here is uh, God has just picked Abraham, or Abram as he's currently known, and he's called Abram to become the father of many nations, and that he would bless Abram, um, and bless all those who would bless him, and curse all those who would curse him, and he would uh, bring about blessing to the nations because of Abram and his following of God, right? And um, Abram has just won this battle, this victory, and brought home his nephew Lot and, and a bunch of other people that were taken, abducted by foreign kings, and they've just won this battle, and it's great, and everyone's on a high, and then we hear this story, they're, they're coming home, they're coming back to their people, and their, their, their tents, and, and where they're camped out, and uh, we hear this story, verse 18 to 20. Uh, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything he owns. So, weird, right? Just, uh, that's it, that's the story. And then we, we go next, like, you know, other things happen. Uh, so, if any of you know anything about this guy... Uh, he's a very mysterious figure, Melchizedek. He's no one. Uh, some people think he's an alien. That um, I'm, I'm not joking. Like that's a real like thing. Some people think he's an alien from like a another planet that didn't fall away from God. Some people think he's uh, Enoch from Genesis, like you know the beginning of Genesis. 
Some people think that uh, he's a... Whatever, a lot of weird theories. But the Bible doesn't tell us anything. Just tell, This is all we have about this guy. And what it does tell us, his name, Melchizedek, which means uh, um, uh, king of righteousness. I'll double check, make sure I didn't get that wrong. King of righteousness. Where he's from, Salem, which is uh, ancient pre-Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Um, so the Jerusalem before God's people took it over and it was Jerusalem. Um, and he served God, not a God, not one of the other gods, God. And obviously we know from the story so far, Abram, who didn't know God before this, God appeared to him and said, I'm the real, true, one God. Um, and, you know, um, come on, I'll take you somewhere. I'll give you this, you know, you'll be a father of many names. And here we've got this guy from pre-Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who is a king and a priest, and we haven't been introduced to priests so far in this story. This is the first ever priest uh, mentioned in the Bible. He's a king and a priest to the actual God. Weird, right? And so when you're reading this story, you're supposed to be realizing this. You're supposed to be realizing, this is a weird dude. This, is, this guy is special. This guy has something, like, there's something going on here. And guess what? He, what he does is he recognizes Abram is special. He recognizes that God is with you. And not only that, he gives to him abundantly. He, gives, he brings bread and wine. They have a bit of a party together. And on top of that, he blesses him. And this is, this is a priest and a king uh, of God blessing this, this random dude living out in tents and fields and all that kind of stuff. And, and he blesses him and he says, Blessed are you. And he blesses God and he says, God is with you. And what does Abram do in return? He is wowed by this guy. He looks at this guy and he's like, whoa, this dude is like something else. He's special. He's amazing. And he's filled with gratitude and joy. And what does he do? His instinct, his response is, here, just uh, take a tenth of everything I have. Just, just take it. It's a bit of an overreaction. There were other people there. He wasn't the only one, but he's the one who got a tenth of everything. What does this tell us about uh, tithes and offering? It tells us that look at how amazing God is. Look at his provision in your life. Look at what he gives you. Look at how amazing he is. The uncreated creator. The, the, the one before time. The one who knitted you together in your mother's womb. Who knows every hair on your head. Who loves you and gave his life for you. Look at him. Look at everything he's done for you. Look at everything he's given to you. What do you want to do in return? How do you want to respond? Your heart should be abundantly ready and willing to give whatever you can. And the, the word tithe is literally one-tenth. So that's where we get that from. All right, next story. How are you going? You okay? Yeah, cool. All right. So Deuteronomy chapter 14. These are parts of the Bible that you may gloss over. You may skip. You may be like, whoa. Okay, Deuteronomy, I've just read all these laws. Uh, let's get to the next story. Click, click, click. But, um, and, uh, no judgment. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, okay, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 23. So, context here. Israel uh, is about to enter the promised land. Moses is about to die. And he is giving the last 
uh, set of laws and the last set of instructions before he dies, hands over the leadership to Joshua, and they're about to enter the promised land and, and conquer it. Okay? And this is one of the commands that, that uh, Moses hands down to the people of Israel from God. In verse 22 to 23, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell. There you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Did you catch it? Tithing here, giving to God, is not about so that God will be happy with you, so that God will pat you on the head, so that God will make you richer and more, more uh, powerful, more abundant, more whatever, blessed. No. That you may learn to fear the Lord your God. Tithing is a discipline. So it's not just a, a reflection of what's going on in your heart. It's not just a response to God's graciousness and His goodness and your desire to just give back to Him. Um, it's also a discipline. It's also something that we do intentionally. And we do it intentionally so that we would fear Him. What, what, is, what is this word fear? Fear, I actually looked up the Hebrew, I, I can't pronounce the Hebrew word, so pardon me, but I looked it up, and I looked up the other parts it comes up in the Bible, and um, it's, it's very diverse. Some parts, it's literally about terror. It's literally about, like, we're terrified, and, uh, you know, fear. Um, other times, it's about awe, it's about wonder, it's about, wow, like, look at, look at this. Other times... It's about a recognition of uh, status and situation. So, in other words, um, a sinful person enters the presence of God and that word comes up because they think that they're about to be killed, they're about to be destroyed because they recognize who they are and who God is. It's an amalgamation of all of these things, but I think that that last one is like the essence of, of all the other elements to it. And the reality is this, is that do you know who God is? Do you recognize that, uh, that you are you and that God is God? And that should not be something that puts us down. Like that, in fact, kind of makes you even more in awe of what he is. Because he chose to die for you. He chose to love you to the, to the point of death on a cross. So he does not devalue you. But the reality is that God is God. And that we are us. Um, and so therefore... This attitude of tithing, of giving to God, uh, offerings, whatever you want to call it, this attitude is to constantly remind us that. It's to ingrain in us a discipline to say, God is God, I am me. And it's also a recognition of a very simple fact. Your atoms that you have are borrowed atoms. Even, even like this is not a controversy, like this is something that atheists, any, anybody believes in. Uh, the circle of life, watch liking. Your atoms are borrowed. Where do you go when you die? You go back to the earth that God created you from. Where you are living in a borrowed set of atoms. You are, you, everything you have, the food you eat, the money you earn, the clothes on your back, it's all borrowed. It doesn't belong to you. You aren't going to take it anywhere. You have it for a period of time, it's gone, including your life. God owns it all. So the recognition, this fear of the Lord, 
is this recognition, it's this understanding. It all comes from Him. And even whatever I do, whatever He has placed in my hand, He says, off you go, enjoy it. Do whatever you like with it. You know? Like, literally go to town. You know? Like, here it is. I mean, respect it, honor it, be wise with it. Like, don't waste the gifts that I've given you. But enjoy it. But also, what are you going to do? Are you going to be able to recognize, hey, you know what? I just want to give back at least one-tenth as a reminder to myself and to everyone around me, this actually all came from Him in the first place. And so that one-tenth, God, you do with it what you want. I won't, I won't do with it what I want. You do with it what you want. And the rest of it I will enjoy. Thank you very much. And I'll hopefully be a good steward with, with the rest of the 90% all of it. By the way, this one-tenth thing, um, uh, in the New Testament, you'll never ever read about one-tenth. You'll never read tithe. Uh, in fact, uh, people will talk about tithes and offerings. Because if you can, you give above and beyond the 10%. And again, the reality here is we're not prescribing something. And, the, and certainly the, the, um, the New Testament writers do not prescribe anything. But what they do say is that, hey, if these people back in the Old, and te- uh, Old Testament who did not see the abundance come through Jesus, and obviously they saw abundance in other ways in their lives from God, but they didn't see even what Jesus did on the cross for them. Well, um, if they could still recognize that they would set apart one-tenth, well, how much more are we going to do? You know, kind of thing. Okay, next story. To the fear of the Lord. Alright, let's, let's look at the New Testament now. So that was Old Testament. Let's have a look at Mark chapter 12. Alright, we're going to read from verse 41 to 44. Context here. Jesus has entered Jerusalem. This is the last week of his life. He has just flipped out of the temple. Um, he's destroyed the money lenders and these people and that people and called everyone a den of thieves and, and uh, really like been very harsh. He's critiqued and criticized the Pharisees and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and now he takes a bit of a rest. Uh, we read this in verse 41 to 44. Uh, he sat down opposite the treasury in the temple and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more money or more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she has to live on. What's going on here? So Jesus is just chilling out. He's watching people put money. Now, just like picture that, all right? Imagine, imagine we did have like a tithe, uh, you know, basket, box, whatever, going around. And imagine I'm like watching you. I put in money, all right? Not very, like, not a gentlemanly move, Jesus. But more so than that. So firstly of all, God is watching you. God is watching. And again, this is not out of like a... Like, be compo- like trying to like manipulate you to give or anything like that. But God is watching you. He he's he, he's interested in what you're doing with your resources, with your time, with your energy. So he's watching you. So Jesus is watching everyone do it, and he's watching all the. Clearly, what must be happening is there must be a bunch of rich people who are rocking up in their uh, Armani whatever, and they've got <laughs> they've got their um, whatever, and they're just uh, gold bullion, just no. 
but but the idea is clearly there is, there is an obvious sense of who is able and who is unable, right? And there is an obvious sense of amount as well. So Jesus is watching this. And then picture this, this little widow who rocks up and she's got two copper coins, like tiny. Uh, in combination, they make up a penny. Uh, people have done the calculations on this. So apparently, uh, look it up though, but apparently it's something like one sixtieth of a day's wages. So like literally it's like nothing. Like you could literally work for like 20 minutes and have more than this woman kind of thing, okay? So this woman, she rocks up with me and she goes, Whoop. and you know what Jesus says? He, it says he gathers his disciples to him and he highlights her. And this story is in two gospels. So not only does he highlight them to his uh, friends and, and make it a teaching moment, but it is recorded 2,000 plus years later for every single person to know what this woman did. Right? And what Jesus says is not like, you see, you know, she should have probably saved up some more and then like put in a bigger deposit or she should have taken out a loan or whatever. No. He says that this woman, out of her poverty... She gave more, and it is more to God than anyone else who put in that day. And it's not just like on an individual basis, it's collectively. Everyone who gave, she gave more than them in terms of the stature of her heart. The thing here is that when you are, um, when you're, when this woman is giving, what do you think her mentality is? Is her mentality, well, okay, you know what, uh, it's okay, you know, I'll just work like 10 minutes later after this and then I'll, I'll have enough for a loaf of bread or whatever. No. Her mentality is like, you know what, I have nothing. She acknowledged it, I'm sure she would. I have nothing. Um, and yet, whatever I do have, and even though it's barely anything, I'm just going to give as much as I can to God. Because he deserves he deserves whatever I can give him, as much as I can give him. And uh, also, like the other layer here is that this this uh, this is a society where women do not work, right? This is a society, not just that. This is a society where the widow um, of so someone who has no husband, um, uh, she is in the like lower of lower classes. Like she she is someone who could possibly very well be homeless, right? Because she not only does not have a job, she does not have anyone there to make money for her or to support her. Yeah, and so this one, and that's why if you look at the Old Testament, God actually has law after law after law about taking care of the widow and the orphan, because these are the people that are marginalized that do not have anyone looking after them, and so God is very, very, very concerned with like making sure that these pe that people in a very marginalized, low situation are lifted up and not subjugated and pushed down. But this woman does not have that mentality. This woman does not think of herself as unable to give. She views herself as, whatever I do have, I will give to God because He deserves it, because He is worthy of it. Right? And, uh, um, and yeah, and, and she becomes a, a teaching point for the disciples and, and, and for us. So, what is your, do you think you have enough? Guys, we are in Australia. We 
we are, to, I can't remember the stat, but I think we're in like the top 90% or something like that. Uh, sorry, the top 10% of the world's wealth, like minimum. Um, uh, and many of us here might even be pushing up in the, like even close to the 1% mark. So the, the idea here is uh, you have enough. You have enough. Even if you don't think you have enough, you have enough. Do not ever make the pursuit of money conditional on what you do for God. It is not about what you get from Him and therefore what you give back to Him. It is about what He is worthy of, what He deserves, and what you want to give Him, and what disciplines you set up in your heart and your mind to give Him. And when God sees that, when He sees that in your heart, He grabs people around and says, Look, look, look. He loves it. It's, it's beautiful for Him. Alright, last passage. Ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So now this is putting it in practice, putting it in motion, seeing what it actually looks like, uh, like in not modern day, but like you know, in I guess post-resurrection reality. So Second uh, Corinthians chapter nine, verses six to eight. So Paul is writing this letter, and he's doing a bit of a charity charity drive. Well, that's at least one of the reasons he's writing this letter. So the Christians in uh, Jerusalem and, uh, um, uh, you know, they're being persecuted. They're, there's not much going on there. They're quite in need. And so Paul is writing to a bunch of churches and he's saying, hey, guys, uh, can you please give, you know? And he's going to send people or he's going to go himself to collect money to, to go take it to these needy believers, okay? So he says this. In uh, verse, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read uh, 1 to 5. Sorry. Um, so he says this in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So he starts by saying, let me just tell you a story about these Christians in Macedonia. Out of their uh, deep affliction and, and persecution, but also plus their abundance of joy. Um, so, affliction, persecution, poverty, plus abundance of joy equals poor, sad uh, people who are just like maybe deluded or blinded in hope. No, equals extreme wealth of generosity. Extreme wealth of generosity. He's not saying here that they were just like super generous and it was like such a... Like, they collected a lot of money. There was a lot of money, right? When God is behind you, when God is motivating you, when God is uh, equipping, using you to equip His activity in the world, um, guess what happens? Even though there may be extreme affliction and extreme poverty, guess what happens? There's also an abundance of joy and abundance of generosity. Yeah? So, he goes on to say this. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In other words, Paul and his crew are like, are you guys sure? Maybe you should hold on to a bit of this. Don't go overboard. You know, you guys need... They're like, no, please. Please, take it all, take it all. 
and begged them to 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 um to be able to take part in the in this relief of the saints. So the favor, this was something more desirable than than their own wealth or their own resources. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see the cycle? It comes from a heart devoted to God, and then out of that devotion comes the generosity, comes the desire to give, to serve, and also comes the capacity to be, to be able to do that. And verse 7, um, we're going to skip to verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in, your, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. In other words, it's great for you to be a great Christian, to read your Bible every day and to know the Word of God, to even like, you know, invite friends to church and to talk to them about God and to, you know, all that kind of stuff. But if your heart is not uh, at a point where you are above and beyond ready to be gracious, just like the grace that you've been shown from, from God himself, well, you, that's an area you need to work on. That's an area that God is definitely interested in you to improve in. Yeah? Um, and then let's have a look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So he's continuing on his point here, um, verse 6 to 8. The point is this, so he's summarizing here. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Uh, before we get to that part, though, uh, a lot of people use that passage and use many other passages to talk about how sow and reap, give to God, and he will give back to you, and all this kind of stuff. And look, I'm not here to say that that is not entirely true, but I am here to tell you that that is missing the point. Sowing and reaping. What, what are we, what are we, we know what we're sowing. We're sowing our devotion, our love, uh, our, our resources. To God, right? We are devoting that to Him. And uh, what are we reaping? What's the reward? It's it can be it can be blessing, and I mean it makes sense. If you if you are someone who is known to be a cheerful giver and generous, guess how people are going to react to you? They're probably going to be more often than not generous back to you. Yeah. So it's pretty logical, but that's not the point. The point is not that you are going to get back stuff, and that's why you should sow that is to get back more. No, the point is that you're reaping Jesus. The, the point is that you are gaining Jesus. The point is that you're becoming more like him. Let's have a look. Each one of him, uh, so each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, as you sow what you reap, is more of God's favor, more of God's presence, more of God's uh, input and impact in your life, and also more of God's activity through you to others. That's what you're reaping. And in a nutshell, it's being like Jesus. Yeah? So, uh, um, so this, this is very nice. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, David, for uh, four passages that um, you know we looked from the Old Testament to the New Testament about tithing and offering. Fantastic. Well, where, where does this land, right? Because if we're just uh, you know, sitting here talking and, and stuff, that's that's really um, that's not great. So, where does this land? Some of us here tonight who are not making any money. Um, uh, um, 
I hope that this did not just go straight past you and, and you just ignored it. Uh, the, 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 the challenge for you, the conviction for you, I believe, is this. I think it is to ask God, what have you given me? What have you given me that you want me to give away? What have you given me that you are entrusting me um, to use for your glory? Right? Uh, resource, energy, time, uh, relationships, whatever. What is it that God has given you that he is just waiting for you to give back to him and just excited to see what you do with it? Yeah? For those of you who are embarking on your uh, careers or you've got a part-time job or, or you're, you've landed some job that's starting, you, you're starting to see cash flow, maybe for the first time in your life, and it's exciting and it's great. I remember my first paycheck and uh, all that. So this is your stage of life. What's the challenge for you? I think the challenge is this. I think the challenge is, all right, where's your heart at? Many of us look and wait for moments in our life where we see if God is real, where we see if God, like, how can this relationship grow? How can this relationship develop? Guess what? This is an area. This is like literally an area. It's like a ruler. It's literally an area that God is encouraging you to apply to your journey of faith because he wants you to discover where it leads you with him, right? Many of us think about this as just like, oh, it's just a side thing and no, this is one of the key things. This is, this is your heart. This is an, a window. Money is a window. And when you start getting money, it's a window into what is going on in your heart, like we saw with Cain and, and, and uh, the other passages. So um, uh, the challenge for you as you start earning um, is what are you going to do? Is the allure of money going to start to erode away at your, your relationship with God? Or is it just going to be another moment where you'll discover um, how God can even use your money and your time and your energy to lead you deeper into relationship with Him and use it for a greater good, multiply it, you know, the, the story of the boy with the loaves and the fish, multiply it beyond what it is actually valued at um, just individually for you. So that's yeah. And for those of you who are, um, uh, I think that some of us here are caught in the cycle of thinking about more. Um, and I certainly have been in that mentality myself. Um, and and uh, it's something I have to constantly pull back on. The next, the next investment, the next uh, whatever, the next uh, you know, um, the next speaker, the next head, pair of headphones the next uh, iPhone model, whatever. We're in a cycle of more and more, and I really want that, and that really, you know, that will make my life better, and I want to secure my future, um, you know, uh, prosperity, my future, whatever. We're in that phase, I'm sure some of us, many of us actually are. Um, I think the challenge is wake up, wake up. Recognize what's happening in your heart. Uh, recognize the fact that this is a dangerous cycle for you. Uh, recognize the fact that God is watching you at the, at, the, at, the, at the booth. And he is waiting for you to go above and beyond and to celebrate you. And he is sad when he sees you fail. Um, not because of what he misses out on, because God does not miss out on anything. God owns, again, borrowed Adams, borrowed everything from him, right? He does not need anything that we have. But rather, he's sad for you. He's sad for us. He's sad 
for what it means that we miss out on when we don't engage with him on such a fundamental level as this. Yeah? So the crossroad is, do you trust God with what he is giving you? Do you trust that God will give you enough? And more than that, do you want to give to God as much as you possibly can? Um, because not only does, is he worthy of it, but uh, it is something that delves us deeper in relationship and God can use for his glory in, in amazing ways, more than if we held on to it. So that is my challenge uh, and, and the message for today. And why did we talk about all of this? Well, it's because um, the, the guys next door, the youth kids, they tithe. Believe it or not, these kids who were in high school, they tithe. They, maybe some of them have a part-time job, but definitely not most of them. And they are giving money. Um, and again, I'm not telling you to give money here. If you want to, fine, but I'm not saying that. Uh, we certainly actually don't need it. Um, you can give it in many other different avenues. Just ask God, like literally ask Him and see what He brings into your life. But the point is, these guys are doing it. What's going on here? And particularly when, uh, when many of us uh, have capacity. So, um, we love you all, and I hope this wasn't too weird for you, especially uh, being here maybe for one, the first, or maybe second time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and hopefully this was not, this did not seem like a money grab for you, for you guys. Well, let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that um, you have given us way more than we could ever know what to do with, Lord. Uh, Lord, the very breath in our lungs, Lord, is a gift from you. Um, Lord, we want to remember that every day. Uh, we want to acknowledge that and be thankful about that every day. And Lord, above all, we want our hearts to be aligned uh, with you and for you. Um, so Lord, that everything that you do give us will be maximized for your glory, Lord. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would um, help us make the right uh, moves and, and move in the right direction, Lord, so that we would follow you wholeheartedly. Peace and Amen. Mm -hmm.